Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. We're in this series called Undivided to give us hope that in the midst of an election where there's division in our country, we can be undivided as a church. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but there could be people in this church who voted the wrong way. I guarantee you there are people in this church who voted differently than you. But that's part of the beauty of the church. I was trying to think of a word God would want to say to us amidst the type of division we're experiencing. And what I want to share with you is this. There is a unity that runs deeper than division. Uh, I was thinking about this question. Is this the first time in the 2,000-year history of the church that we've experienced political division? The answer is no. In Jesus' day, he lived between Rome and Israel. I mean, Romans killed Israelites, and Israelites wanted to kill Romans. Scott shared last week that one of the disciples of Jesus was a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector, and so he collaborated with Rome. Another disciple was a guy named Simon the Zealot, Uh, Zealots wanted to kill Romans and those who collaborated with Rome. Jesus put them together. I mean, think about what that must have been like. They were sitting there when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And they realized there is a unity for the human race that's way bigger than the Roman Empire or the people of Israel. And we have that unity because Jesus has invited us in. And so we're talking in this series about how we actually ground our lives in something more solid than any particular political ideology or power. There is a foundation we can operate from that will allow us to give peace and compassion and love to people around us when we're going through what we're going through right now. And what I want to do today is give us a deeper framework to view life from by looking at the three most important elections that have ever occurred in human history, in my humble opinion. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, they're all in the Bible, and they're all elections in which God was actually, in a sense, on the ballot. I want to walk through these elections, uh, look at what the outcome was, what they teach us about God, and what God's response teaches us about how we can ground our lives into something deeper. The first election took place way back in Israel's history. Uh, When Israel uh, first occupied the promised land, the idea was that they were offered by God the chance to be this noble experiment, uh, to live freely in a community of loving people under the direct reign of God. Uh, Israel was to be a people who were marked by justice and compassion, uh, where people lived in freedom and security and safety, uh, where families would give love and acceptance to children and the hearts of children would be turned back toward their parents, 
where culture was to bring beauty and moral instruction and goodness, uh, where they would observe the Sabbath. Uh, no one would be a workaholic. Everyone would live in a spirit of leisure and rest, uh, where they were to observe the practice called tithing. So they wouldn't be enslaved by uh, consumerism and materialism and how much more can I get and what's in it for me, but there would just be this spirit of generosity and they would help one another to live in goodness and excellence of character. That was God's plan for the human race. But there was this problem for the people of Israel. They thought, you know, if, if, if we vote for that, then I'll have to make God my king. Uh, I'll have to surrender my life to him, and I'm not sure I want to do that. Uh, when we have problems, when there's an enemy outside, when there's a threat, when I feel anxious, when I have, uh, you know, to just trust that God is going to take care of me, you know, and I'm not sure I want to do that. And so the leaders of Israel went to Samuel. He was a prophet. And they told him what they wanted. This is what they said. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And you hear the sadness in the heart of God. By the way, this passage is not about modern nations or what form of government we choose. It's a spiritual decision that's being made. Uh, God is saying to Samuel, this isn't about you. Every time people chose idolatry, every time people decided they would make their lives about money, every time they neglected the poor, every time they oppressed a foreigner and said, oh, you're different, you know, we don't like how you look or sound, every time they forgot to care for the widow and the orphan, every time they decided that they would just blow off God's standard for sex, every time they nursed resentment, they were saying, God, we don't want you as king. And God says, Samuel, I want you to tell them that if they choose a king, and the idea here is, if they choose to place their ultimate trust in merely human political power, what they're in for is what power always does to people. And so Samuel goes to Israel and says, if you choose to have a king in violation of what God wants for you, here's what's going to happen. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. In the ancient world, these were some of the most subversive words about having a king that had ever been written. Uh, they were considered so radical that in the Middle Ages, kings would not allow clergy to read these words in church because they thought it would undermine the authority people would give kings. And God says to Samuel, 
I want you to tell the people what to expect if they go down this road, if they reject having me as king. And Samuel does. And then this really is the first election now. Uh, Israel has to decide. And there are really only two names on the ballot. There's God and there's a human king, whoever that's going to be. And God wonders, what will Israel say? Will they remember how when they were slaves in Egypt, it was God who freed them from Pharaoh and his army and led them miraculously across the Red Sea? Will they remember that God was for them a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so they could actually be guided by God? Will they remember how he took them up to Mount Sinai and told them that he loved them and gave them his will, you know, his wisdom about human life and how it should work? Will they remember how he fed them every day? Will they want him to be their king? And here's their response. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. That's real good thinking, isn't it? Uh, What a noble aspiration. Then we will be like all other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us to fight our battles. God loses this election. People decide they're going to have a king. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. Then the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. It's so interesting. I think this is worth noting. Uh, A lot of times, if you refuse to take from God what God wants for you, God will allow you to have what it is that you want. Do you really want to go down that road? Do you really want to have that attitude? Do you really want to have that relationship? Do you really want to have that pattern or that habit in your life? A lot of times, if we're not willing to listen uh, or learn from uh, God, he will let us learn the hard way. He does that with Israel. But he has plans. Uh, God doesn't give up. He says, all right, let them have a king. And they have kings. Uh, Some of them are better. Some of them are worse. Most of them are kind of a mess. And that's kind of the way it works in life. Uh, That's kind of what power tends to create in people. Uh, None of them are able to bring the kind of transformation of the human spirit and character that's needed to bring about God's plan for humanity. A sociologist named James Davidson Hunter wrote an interesting book called To Change the World. Uh, And part of what he notes is when people live in a fractured society, uh, when there are a lot of divisions, what happens is everyone wants uh, political power. Uh, There are lots of different spheres, education, literature, art. But when things get fractured, people say, I want political power because political power is the only lever that has uh, coercion available to it. If you have political power, you can make people do what you want. You can pass laws. Uh, You have an army. Everyone thinks the way to get what we want, the way to fix everything, is to get our people in office. We'll be the ones to make the laws. Then we'll force our will on everyone else and make them do what we want them to do. Uh, And I just want to say this. If you believe political power is the ultimate form of power to make things right, you are at odds with the writers of Scripture and the message of Jesus. For many, many years, Israel suffers through many, many kings, 
and then they lose their kingdom and they go into exile and they suffer under other kings until a unique idea begins to emerge in the minds of some in Israel, some prophets. What the human race needs is something no earthly king can give. And so this idea begins to circulate that God is going to do something. A prophet named Isaiah put it like this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so this idea kind of gets passed from one generation to another. And then one day, a child is born. One day, a son is given. And his name is Jesus. And he says there is a kingdom now available through him, a government, if you will. Jesus is running what really is, in many ways, a campaign. But it's a different kind of campaign. God is offering to be king again. God just can't help himself. But there's never been a campaign like this. Jesus has no force, no warriors or soldiers to back him up. Uh, He has no money, no campaign funds. In fact, he just gives money away. He has no palace, no capital. In fact, he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Uh, He doesn't defeat his enemies, he forgives them. He doesn't walk around citing the polls that would enable him to predict his victory. In fact, he publicly predicts that he's going to lose. He goes on face of the nation and says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things in the hand of the chief priests and the teachers of the law and then to be crucified. And then Peter, who kind of takes it on himself to be Jesus's campaign manager, goes ballistic. He says, Jesus, you can't say stuff like that. Peter goes before the press and says, you know, what he meant to say is, you know, we're all going to die. And so let's just kind of embrace life. And Jesus says, no, what I meant to say is, in fact, I am going to die because I'm on a path where my death is going to accomplish something that my life never could. And all the powers in the religious sphere and in the political sphere and in the military sphere were threatened by Jesus, as the powers always will. It's part of why it's so important for the church never to be captive to any of those other kinds of powers, never to try to seize or identify too closely with those powers. The most powerful political and military man in Jesus's world, a guy named Pilate, brings Jesus before him and asks him, are you king of the Jews? That was a loaded phrase. Uh, It was a a technical term, a title that the Roman Empire had conferred on Herod the Great when Jesus was a baby. It carried with it a great deal of power. No one had had it since Herod the Great died. Everyone wanted to be king of the Jews. Pilate is asking Jesus, are you king of the Jews? What does Jesus say? Yeah, but not like you think. Yeah, but not the way this world looks at it. He makes what I believe is the most important political statement uh, that has more implications about spheres and separation of church and state and so on than any statement that has ever been made. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It's real. Pilate, it's more real than you can imagine, but it's not of this world. If it were, my soldiers would fight. 
See, that's the kingdom of our world. That's what political power does. It has coercion, it has might, it, it will establish its sovereignty and fight to do so. Jesus says, I won't do that. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. We would take up swords, we would have chariots, we would have troops. But now my kingdom is from another place. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Pilate says, so then you're the king. And this leads to a second election. Uh, picture this scene. It's Passover in Jerusalem. It would be very much like the, the 4th of July in America. Only imagine we're occupied by an oppressive empire and all of our dreams and aspirations in history about being free and independent are on the surface. Every year at Passover, Pilate would set one political prisoner free as kind of an, a, a concession to Israel, kind of a way to get everyone in Israel to think, you know, uh, the Caesar, the Roman Empire is not that bad. He's actually uh, a good guy. Uh, it's that time. And Pilate gets this idea. He says, I'll offer them Jesus. There are two candidates on the ballot now. One of them is Jesus, king of the Jews. The other is a guy named Barabbas, uh, forgotten to history. I mean, he was part of the insurrection attempt. He was a murderer, not even a leader, just a criminal. Now, God is on the ballot again, a second time. And the person of Jesus is saying, I will be your king if you want. Pilate asks them, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they say no. And Jesus is watching, wondering, will they remember that I lived among them and it was one of them? Will they remember how I taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, yours is the kingdom of heaven? Will they remember I'm the one who took their children into my arms and blessed them? And I'm the one who loved uh, scandalous people, prostitutes, and, and ate with tax collectors and touched lepers? No, I don't think so. I don't think we want that kind of king. I think we want someone who will slaughter Romans. Yeah, we'll take Barabbas. Pilate asks, what then shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him. He didn't do what we wanted. He didn't give us what we asked of him. Put him on the cross. And they did. And Jesus knew they would. It's the strangest thing. What marked Jesus as the biggest loser to the kingdom of this world is what marked him as the greatest in the kingdom of God. It's a different kind of kingdom. And we're to be citizens now of that kind of kingdom. We are, we are to learn to be like him. That's why the apostle Paul said after Jesus loses this second election and gets crucified, Paul says, in your relationships with one another now, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing. I mean, what politician does that? By taking on the very nature of a servant, what president does that? He humbled himself. What king does that? What Caesar does that? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this is all about the arc of Jesus's life. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, humbled himself, 
became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And the point is, this is as low as you can go. I mean, if the king is way up here, Jesus is like all the way down here. And it's precisely because of this that election number three takes place. But election number three is very different from election number one and two, as we'll see in just a moment. Okay, so Jesus humbles himself, is obedient to death on a cross for the redemption of the human race. He pours out his life, and therefore, precisely for this reason, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. He went down as low as he could go. God raised him up to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, above every Caesar, above every king, above every president that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a different election. There is one office at stake, Lord of heaven and earth. There is one platform, the kingdom of God. There is one and only one candidate, Jesus of Nazareth. There is one and only one precinct, heaven. There is one and only one voter with one vote, and that is God the Father. Therefore, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's an office. It's about power, but it's a different kind of power. God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, Caesar and CEO and president, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. And there will be no recount. Jesus is the one who rules all. And this leads to another election. The last election is the one that will happen in your heart. On purpose or by accident, for better or for worse, you will decide who will rule your life. And there are two names on the ballot, God and me. God will say to you, kind of like he did to Israel, if you want your will to be done, you can have your will. You can put your ego on the throne. You can uh, make your money all about you. Uh, all the power you can get can be all about you. All the pleasure you can get can be all about you. All the safety you can get, all the security you can get, all the applause you can get, it can just be all about you. You can be king if you want. But the word for that is hell. Life without God and God's goodness. Or you can have the same mindset in you that was in Christ Jesus. You can bow your head, you could bend your knee, you can pour yourself out, and then you can get to be a part of a kingdom that will never end. It's not a kingdom of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, we're here, uh, we're a part of this country, uh, we're to care for it, uh, but the writers of scripture say, we are here as aliens and strangers. It's not the primary source of our identity or security. Now, as we close, I wanna ask you to do me a favor. Take a real deep breath. And I just wanna tell you something. God is not worried about this election. God is not sitting up in heaven, chewing his fingernails and saying, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Out of all eternity, 
the billions of years, the billions of planets in unspeakable galaxies on this one little planet, out of all the billions of people, this one little country, what if out of all of eternity, for this one little four-year period and this one little country running for this one little office, people would choose out of the two people running the second best person and not the first best person. I'll let you in on a little secret. Presidents come and go. They've been doing it for a long time. Administrations begin and end. Elections get won and lost. Political parties ebb and flow. Governments rise and fall. But the government of God is the one that matters. And it will be ruled over by Jesus Christ, the crucified carpenter of Nazareth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And of his government, there will be no end. So let's just be beacons of light where there is just so much darkness going on. All right, now would you pray with me? God, we pray for our country. We pray for healing. We pray for peace. Uh, we pray for justice and righteousness. We pray for our leaders, God. Uh, we know they're all just people. They're all fallible human beings just like we are. God, would you give them wisdom? Would you bless them? Would you help them to lead well? I pray for everyone who's listening right now to this prayer, God, that you would help us, that you will be the king of our lives, that you will rule our hearts and our egos and our little families. God, help us to live in the great peace and assurance that whatever goes on in the weeks and months ahead, nothing can thwart or stand against the love and the peace and the joy that you have inaugurated on this earth through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, God. And we offer ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.